So we do turn to our scripture lesson for this evening's sermon in John chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 18 verses. This is God's holy word, even as we had the privilege of singing it in the Psalms this evening, in Psalm 72, just a few minutes ago. We now have the privilege of reading God's word and and hearing it exposited briefly. So let us attend with reverence to the reading of God's holy, inspired word as he gave to the Apostle John. And therefore we know, as, as John himself testifies, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would bring to their minds, to their remembrance, all of the things that Jesus did and much more besides. And so uh, this is the word of God telling us about the incarnate word, the word made flesh this evening. And so let's read now John 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. This ends the reading of God's holy word for us this evening. May he bless its reading and its proclamation and its hearing. As you know, I'm not one to let the calendar tell me what to preach. Indeed, as I've mentioned this morning, we, we reject the notion of, of liturgical calendars in, uh, in the covenanter tradition, and I believe rightly so. Uh, so our denominational position is against uh, the use of liturgical calendars for good biblical reasons, but I also don't let the calendar tell me what not to preach. <clears throat> and uh, it seemed like a sermon on the word incarnate would be a good transition between uh, our study of the Ten Commandments that we've had recently and finished a couple of weeks ago and the series I plan to begin next week, uh, which is on the doctrines taught in the Westminster Confession of Faith, a series on what Presbyterians believe. 
And so we begin that series with a sermon on the doctrine of Scripture, on God's written word. So uh, tonight we hear about God's, God's word made flesh, the word incarnate, the person of the Godhead who is known as the word and the son of God. In a little while we'll sing from Psalm 33, and as it's uh, verse 6 is translated in the New King James Version, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made. The Lord by his word created the heavens, we'll sing here in a little while. And that's not simply telling us that God spoke things into existence, that's part of it, that's quite true. But there is a person of the Godhead who is known as the Word. We read about God's divine nature in this passage that we just read this evening, and it's not my point to exposit it verse by verse. In fact, if I were doing that, and someday I may uh, preach through the Gospel according to John, and we'll, we'll go more closely through these things, I wouldn't have read all 18 of these verses, and, uh, and, and uh, I would have gone shorter passages. But we do uh, see in these 18 verses some important things about the incarnation of this person of the Godhead. We read about his divine nature, his eternal status as God, and about his being made flesh, becoming a human being in John chapter 1. Now, in John's day, the Greek philosophers commonly used this word that John uses, logos, that we translate here as word, to speak of an abstract force that they believed brought order to the universe. They thought this was a principle of the very being of the universe. And you can find this in the philosophies of many of the ancient uh, Greek philosophers. I believe Heraclitus is one who's uh, uh, credited with coming up with it. But you see a lot of ancient Greeks talking about this principle of the logos. And it's uh, they understood that the universe was well-ordered. And so when they would see that order, they would say speak of logos as, as a sort of principle uh, that held the universe's order in place. That's the word translated as word here in this text. It's actually where we get our English words, logic, and all of those words that we have with the suffix of logi, right, like geology, right, biology, Christology, radiology, uh, indicating a reasoned study of something. So uh, there's a sense of of well-orderedness. But John speaks of this logos in more than just terms of an impersonal force or a principle of the universe. He speaks of this word that brings order not as an impersonal force, but as a person. Not an it, but a he. In our English language, we would make that distinction. Later philosophers and Gnostics would speak of this being, the Logos, they would speak of him as a person, but more as a lesser God, as if God created the Logos, and then the Logos did other things. The Arian heretics would teach this. Gnostics would 
would say more that this was one of the divine beings or principles that emanated from the original God, that sort of spilled over and was created by the spilling over of this, of the original God. But that's not how John presents this person. He makes it clear that this is the very eternal God himself. You'll notice that he exists in the beginning in verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. So he's there in the beginning. That harkens back then to the first sentence of the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so this is uh, harkening back to that notion that there is uh, a being here who's there before the beginning of those things that are created. He's not someone who was made by God, but he already and always was. He is I am. He is the self-existent eternal God. And John tells us also in verse 1 that he was with God. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he's with God, as well as he was God. Now, by the way, I maybe should go off on a short tangent here and just note that uh, the Arian heretics and the ancient church, the, um, the modern Jehovah's Witnesses will... Might point out, well, actually, the ancient Aryan heretics knew better than this. Uh, they didn't make too much of a big deal. But the modern Jehovah's Witnesses will look at that and they'll know, well, there's no definite article there with God at the end of verse 1. And so if there's a definite article there, it would say the God, that's that's the God, the one God in, in Greek. But since there's no definite article there, you could translate that as saying the word was a God, as if he was a different God lesser than the Creator God. Uh, the problem with that is that, uh, that that works in most sentences, but not when you have the verb to be. When you have the verb to be in Greek, uh, the way that you know what's supposed to be the subject and what's supposed to be the object of the being there, because otherwise the verb to be was here, is like just like an equals sign. The word equals God. Is it the word equals a God or the word equals the God? Well, the way that you know which one you're supposed to put first as more the subject of that sentence is which one has the definite article. So the word has the definite article. Uh, so we're to read this as not as just as God was the word, which is actually the order of the words in Greek, but it's translated here rightly as the word was God. So it's just indicating which one's the subject more than the other uh, not telling us that uh, that this is just to be a God, but in fact, the notion that he's just a God and not the God is shot down by verse 3, and we'll come to that here in a little bit. But he tells us this word was with God as well as being God. It's not only our, our understanding, or rather I should say it is only uh, through our understanding of God's revelation of himself as Trinity, which actually makes sense of that sentence. How can the word be both the same God, who he's with in the beginning, and be with God at the same time? How can you be with 
someone and be that someone at the same time. I can't be with myself. You know, sometimes we'll say I'm all by myself, but I can't actually literally be by myself. And then we might say somebody's beside himself, which is an expression meaning you're kind of out of your mind, right? Uh, but those are just figures of speech. You can't literally be beside yourself, can you? If something weird is going on, if that happens. But here you've got a word who is God and is with God at the same time. Well, this only makes sense if we see that there is one God who exists in multiple, in fact, we know three, persons. So he can be God at the same time and be with God the Father and with God the Holy Spirit, and thus he is both with God and was God at the same time, we can say. Three in personhood, but one God in essence. That's why John's language in verse 3 is so awkward. It's awkward on purpose when we read there in verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. John is not actually leaving us any room there to think that this word is a created being. Think about that. All things were made through him, so he's made all things, and without him nothing was made that was made. So if something was made, if something was created, it was created by him. That means he can't possibly have been created himself. Because if he was created and then he made all other things, which again is what, say, Jehovah's Witnesses say, well, then we would have to conclude there was one thing that he did not make. He didn't make himself. You know, that, that's a, a principle of logic, right? Your parents did not consult you before they decided to have you, right? <clears throat> you weren't there to consult, right? You can't make yourself. You can't have any part in the making of yourself, Everything that was made was made by him, which means he's the uncreated creator. He's the eternal, self-existent God. In verse 4, John actually references that fact by pointing out, in him was life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light, then verse 5, shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That is not. That doesn't mean that the darkness... Uh, didn't uh, understand it. That's usually how we use the word comprehend, but it means it can't overcome or envelop it. Right? This light can't be shut down by darkness. Right? It, why? Because it's light in and of itself. It has its own, it's its own source of power. This is the same principle we see in the burning bush. Right? He appears to Moses as the one. In fact, it's the same person of the Godhead, we surmise. Uh, the angel of the Lord, we're told, uh, is is the one who is in the bush, and the bush burns, but it's not consumed. He doesn't need any fuel. He burns of himself, right? And so here, in verse 3, then all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. All life, all existence, have its source, has its source in him. He has life in himself. You and I do not have life in and of ourselves. We can't make ourselves live. We can use the tools that God gives us to sustain life, but we can't actually create life. We can't take non-living things and make them live. That can't happen. <clears throat> Only God can do that. Hebrews 1.3 actually says of Jesus Christ, that he upholds all things by the word of his power. 
He's the light, likewise. He's the foundation of all truth and holiness and purity, even as he's the foundation of all life. John tells us that this light was coming into the world, but uh, through, though, rather, though the world was made by him, made through him, the world in its fallen and rebellious state did not know him. He was rejected by his own people. We see that in verses 9 through 11. So we're going to skip down here a little bit after he's talked about John the Baptist who was sent to bear witness to this light saying, he's coming after me. He actually existed before me because he's God. So then then in verse 9, it says, "That, that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But he wasn't rejected by everyone. John says in general he was rejected, his own did not receive him, but some did, by God's grace. Although the world in general rejects him, some receive him, and he says in verses 12 and 13, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. That's a sermon in and of itself right there. That you have the right to become a child, a son, an heir of God. Why? By belie- or how? By believing in his name. If you believe in his name, you are a child of God. Verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's grace. To those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God, born not of the flesh, nor of human will. That is not by any right or any heritage or any personal choice or goodness or merit or ability within ourselves. It's all Jesus' right that he gives to you as a free gift by the will of God. So how did he come into the world then to make those who are going to be saved by the will of God, children of God. How did he do it? Well, verse 14 tells us then, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. So there John saying, there's a, I'm an eyewitness to this, full of grace and truth. So the Word of God, who created all things, without whom nothing was made that was made, and who is also called the Son of God. Here he's called the Only Begotten, and then in a few verses, in verse 18 we'll see he's the Only Begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. So the same person of the Godhead that we call the Son is also called the Word. And he became flesh, and literally dwelt, he literally tabernacled or pitched his tent among us. Think about what Paul says in in 2 Corinthians 5, where Paul speaks of our mortal bodies as being a tent. A part of the picture there is that it's more of a, a temporary dwelling and that God is giving us a house not made with hands, the resurrected, perfected body in the world to come. But here this is a picture then of him taking on the same nature that we have now, not not broken by sin, but mortal, able to die because, of course, our sins will be laid on him. 
And John is telling us that this word, this person, took that nature upon himself. He took that same tabernacle upon himself, that same tent upon himself that we have. The eternal word did not merely take on the appearance of humanity. He truly became human. So just as he and the Father and the Holy Spirit share the same nature as God in three persons, the Word, the Son, in one person has two natures. So he's fully and truly God, as are the Father and the Spirit, and he's just as human as you and I are. He's truly human. Paul tells us in Philippians that he set aside his glory as creator, or veiled that glory, if you will. Not that he gave it up, it was his right, it was his. He wouldn't be God if he didn't have that glory, but he veiled it. And he didn't consider it something that needed to be shown, to be grasped, to be held on to tightly. As we see in verses chapter 2 of Philippians, verses 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. So he has the nature of God, now he's taking on the nature of a bondservant, and didn't consider it robbery that he had the nature of God, he was equal with God, nor did he eschew or reject veiling that glory to take the form of a bondservant. And coming in the likeness of men, Paul says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that as Colossians 2.9 tells us, in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. Now so far, all of this theological language here, all these principles that we see in uh, John 1, may sound rather abstract to many people. You might be wondering, why do I need to know all of this? Why does it matter? Well, of course... It matters that you know who Jesus Christ is. This is why he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Getting his identity right is paramount. Well, John gives us both the human identity of the word and the reason for his incarnation in verses 17 and 18. He says, we need to get back to John 1. In verses 17 and 18 of John 1, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him, or He has made Him known. The law which convicts us of sin, this is what we saw ten sermons in a row when I was talking about the Ten Commandments, this law which convicts us of sin and shows us that we cannot stand in the presence of our Holy Creator, God revealed that to Moses. But God reveals Himself in Jesus Christ. Yes, His character is seen in the law. His very being 
is seen in Jesus Christ. Not just a reflection of his character, but all of his being there dwelling bodily. He's full of grace to give us a gift that we don't deserve so that we might stand in God's presence despite not being worthy of it. The reason he came into the world is to make himself known, to make God known. We cannot see God in his invisible divine being. To be exposed to the fullness of his glory in our present sinful state would be to destroy us. It would be to be destroyed. But by taking on flesh, by becoming truly human, one person of the Godhead can show us then who God really is without our needing to be obliterated by his glory. There are many different ways to describe the reasons Jesus came. But John beautifully summarizes it by pointing out that God wants you to know him. If you know Jesus Christ, you know God. The only way that you can know God is through a true relationship with Christ. Remember that knowing in Scripture is more than just having a head knowledge of things. It's it's about having a relationship, an intimacy. He wants you to have that relationship with Him. And you can only have that relationship with your Creator through Jesus Christ who makes Him known. No one can make God known to you except Jesus because only Jesus is our Creator and one of us at the same time. Only He is God in the flesh. Only He is the Word of God, the person of the Godhead incarnate. Well, let's pray. Oh, holy God, we thank You for making Yourself known to us in the person of Jesus Christ, who alone is both God and man, fully divine and fully human, truly divine and truly human, and that He came to reconcile sinners to our holy Creator. Help us never to cease to know You more fully. Help us ever to flee to Christ and to cling to Him, that we might truly know the God who has made us and the God who has saved us from our sins. As we pray in the name of the Word incarnate, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.